Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's episode, I share an interview that I did just yesterday with Hans Habegger in studio in Evanston, Illinois. We talked at great length about his studio practice and his paintings and drawings. It's all very interesting, so please stay tuned. Welcome to another edition of Studio Break. I'm here in uh, Hans... How do you pronounce your last name? I, I want to make sure I get it right. Habegger. Okay. Um, up in Evanston, so uh, he was lucky enough to invite me over to a studio this morning, so it's nice to be here. Thanks. No problem. Glad to have you here. I always like to start off with a little bit about your background, so if you could just kind of tell us where you're from and and I guess what that was sure. like. Sure. Okay. So easy to unpack and, you yeah. know... Okay. Um, I grew up in Marquezan, Wisconsin, which is a small town north of uh, Madison, about an hour north of Madison. And uh, I went to University of Wisconsin Oshkosh for undergraduate school, originally planning to go into graphic design there because because of that program. I went there and um, ended up studying painting and drawing and received a bachelor's degree in uh, fine art with that, with those two, um, as the emphasis. Then I went, uh, kind of right on to graduate school. So no, uh, no, no break, no break, no studio break. In between. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I went to Indiana, uh, which, uh, was am- among my top choices definitely, um, for, for where I wanted to go. And, um, looking back on it, I was a bit unprepared, probably a little bit mentally for what that rigor of graduate school would be like. Um, maybe partially due to being at Oshkosh and and having, being a little bit smaller program, um, not quite as, uh, much competition in a sense. Sure. Um, And I was probably one of the younger students in the graduate program too. So a lot of people had maybe waited a year or two or longer, um, to go, to go to school. Um, so that program was pretty intense, intensive for me, uh, that first year, just getting accustomed to what graduate school is like. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, because I think that for, I don't know, almost anybody that I talk to there, I think a lot of it is like managing what your expectations are of it and being able to learn what you can get from it. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how that works out, but there was a lot to learn from it. Uh, just from not, not just the instructors there, but, but from the peers, oh, right. peers there, just a lot of different types of painting things I hadn't seen before. Um, that were, that were really interesting to me being able to teach there my second year right. was a, was a huge experience. Uh, studied in Florence for the summer, uh, in Italy, which was a major turning point. I was doing mostly figurative work uh, all throughout graduate school and, and for the most part all throughout undergrad. Hmm. And so the looking at a lot of Italian Renaissance painting, uh, composition, uh, right, right. scale um, of the figures was really uh, was a really big turning point for me. It really affected me when I came back, uh, affected my paintings right, right. Um, when I came back. Uh, so the second year was much more successful in that sense. Direction wise, um, sure. for what I was doing, and then when I got out of there, uh, graduated 
um, finished my thesis, I started painting, uh, doing small paintings outside. So that's really like where the major change happened for me, which kind of leads into this work. Right. I was right at the end of graduate school. So I had done my thesis show and just, that was in March. So you got a couple of months yet of time there. So me and a buddy were start going out and painting plein air, real small, um, you know, four by six, five by seven kind of size pieces, one shot, a lot of palette knife, uh, really direct painting with the palette knife. And that was just so fun because the, uh, before I was doing these large studio paintings, figurative based, uh, narratives. So it was, it was kind of a bit, just the opposite end of the spectrum in a sense of really immediate, uh, direct painting. Um, so that, that kind of changed what I became interested in once I left sure, Indiana. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, again, I don't necessarily mean to kind of keep a uh, bring up the past, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious then in, in relation to what you were just talking about. I mean, um, do you find that there was kind of like a transition in terms of maybe what you thought you were interested in as, um, even, even just kind of working your way, you know, like a lot of people wind up doing that, you know, get involved in the arts, you know, they go through, yeah. you know, they like drawing, you know, with crayons, they, you know, yeah. continue that until they get to high school and then they start kind of getting more exploration in terms of that, um, as they're kind of working through this. So, I mean, was that something that you were always kind of interested in and, and kind of drawing specifically or other kinds of art making. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know that I had tried a little bit, I was always really interested in working from life. Um, and so that connection was always there as far as painting from observation, but a lot of work, I was also really interested in drawing and painting from imagination, kind of creating, uh, things and, and making them work together visually. But in, in undergrad, I did do some trying to do a little bit of painting outside. It was it was total, total and complete failure. <laughs> um, it's just it's, had no idea what I was doing, and um, and uh, so that didn't really lead anywhere at that point. But uh, right, right. I was always really focused on drawing and painting. I never took any printmaking classes in in undergrad. Never took any photography classes. Both of those I regret not taking those classes. But I was pretty honed into painting and drawing as my main major focus right? Um, all throughout undergrad. But, uh, and were there, I guess, you know, just cause it's, although nobody can see this visually, you know, I can mm -hmm. look around and, and see, you know, postcards, uh, with, uh, Mondrian and mm -hmm. other things kind of going, going around. I mean, um, were you kind of taken more, I guess, with the design aspects of things in the beginning and kind of slowly realizing like, Oh wait, maybe I could, you know, do something that is a little bit more, I guess, what I want to do as opposed to then doing maybe something more of what somebody else wants to do. Is right. That, that, that part of it happened right at the end of graduate school. And oh, really? Get, when I got out of graduate school, I guess, when I started teaching at Iowa State. And huh. being on my own, in a sense, out of school, right, right. out of your studio that you're accustomed to, um, with that option of like, hmm, what do, what do I want to paint now? You know, what, what's, what's interesting to it. And so I started a few drawings based upon or related to what I was doing for my thesis show, which are large kind of figurative compositions. And that just didn't really go anywhere. I mean, I finished a couple drawings, but I started doing more of these paintings from, from observation and then tied with teaching actually, as I started teaching a lot, 
and teaching uh, beginning drawing specifically, talking a lot about composition, shape, uh, perspective, all that started leading me further to to urban landscape right, right. and it, this interest in urban landscape painting. And then that design part about it, which you just mentioned, didn't kind of come along till a bit later. Well, and I bring it up because that, I don't know, it's, um, I think when you, when you tell like spec specifically your parents, for example, something like I'm going to go to an art program, you know what I mean? It, it seems like it's very kind of very much natural to kind of maybe gravitate towards something that, that might be sellable or, you know, something mm -hmm. where, where your parents especially like kind of beat it into your head, like, Oh, you're going to, you got to have something, some way to make a living. So it seems like a lot of people start out in that kind of transition. Um, yeah. so in terms of then like, like the, the figurative pieces, especially, um, was it kind of a similar setup in terms of, I guess, working from, you know, observation, were there any kind of thematic mm -hmm. issues or concerns that you're kind of working with? Cause I mean, obviously, you know, even the subject that you, that, I guess we're both kind of dealing with landscape to some yeah. degrees, um, you know, has so much history, right. just like the figure does. So, you know, yeah. even in, in terms of when you're, hmm. you know, then kind of approaching it, I mean, was there a specific take or was it more than kind of very much like a formal kind of analysis or kind of playing with materials or, you yeah. know, and something that, you know, just to kind of point out, um, something that I didn't realize too, is that, you know, there is a, a, a bit of layers to, to the things that you're working through. Right. Um, and then you've talked a little bit about, you know, playing around with materials. So, I mean, in terms of the figurative work, was that, how, is, how are those kind of set up? Or Yeah, the figurative stuff changed a little bit. My first semester or first year at Indiana, I did a lot of, uh, I, did a, I, I did some painting from imagination, kind of making up uh, figure uh, compositions, figures in uh, kind of motion in a sense, uh, kind of creating a scene with them. Um, and then, uh, before that I had kind of gone through an odd nerdrum fixation. So I had my first semester there done paintings kind of in the vein of nerdrum, some self portraits, uh, larger scale, um, uh, landscape, uh, things in the background, but more made up and kind of nerdrum ish, like isolated kind of, um, uh, vague kind of landscapes in a sense. Um, which didn't really have any personal meaning right, to right. me. And so I feel like the stuff that I'm doing now is definitely has just a much more personal right. um, meaning based upon things that I see daily, um, that I find, that I photograph. Um, that that part is, has become very important, um, is, right, is right. finding things that in my surroundings that I'm drawn to. And you probably feel that same way. Yeah, yeah, completely, work. completely. Um, and in a sense, yeah, I feel like some of that was in graduate school. I really wasn't thinking about that as much, like that personal connection. It was it was almost uh, more of a composition in a sense with the with the figures, and and then a narrative to it. I was doing things kind of related to like the history of figurative painting with biblical narratives. Right. It's kind of taking these Italian uh, Renaissance uh, paintings with uh, relating to figurative uh, biblical subject matter, which I was thematically interested in at the time, mm -hmm. even, um, and, and then trying to place them into a contemporary setting. So sure, sure. Um, and in a way you're talking about materials and, and layers. I, I, I felt in some, in some sense at, at points in, in painting those pieces, I wasn't 
concentrating on every aspect of the surface. At some points I felt like I was kind of filling in, so to speak, right? because there are these larger pieces. Now I feel like, even when I go to a larger scale, I feel like I've really considered each section of the painting. Uh, right. It is a way of understanding it um, totally with mark making, um, with color, uh, shape, all those things. Uh, so I feel like I've really, everything is, is much more planned out in a sense even, but um, everything's considered as far as surface, right, right. I feel like. Well, and, and this might be kind of an odd question, I don't know, but, um, you know, coming from a, or going to a school that's so rich in a certain kind of history, like, again, and this can easily be edited out, um, but, um, you know, like, because I, I think of, again, people that are going to be really great representational, figurative, landscape, you know, that kind of thing, is, yeah. is that something that becomes... I don't know, what, what is that environment like to kind of be in in something where, being in an environment that, you know, something happens really well? I mean, even for me, I guess, in terms of looking back on it now, um, where, I, where I went to Illinois State University, um, you know, there's there were a lot of people that worked abstractly, and I think that that's something that, I don't know, kind of it, it's kind of weird because you kind of think about it in terms of like your own kind of small niche, like the same yeah. way that people think of, yeah. you know, like, a, you know, uh, like an abstract school of painter, painters from the right. 50s or something kind of working right. like a specific so way. So how, how it kind of influenced you, your Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, was it, was it something where you, where you kind of felt like you wanted to break away from that or mm-hmm. were there times that you felt like... Right. Um, yeah, I didn't really think about it too much until... Um, after once I got out of graduate school, really, right, right. Um, when I, uh, because I loved doing those those small plain air paintings, like it, like I said, it was such a, a breath of fresh air. Um, I loved being outside, right, loved right. Just the directness of painting that way, sure, um, and breaking things down with uh, with color um, with a palette knife on, on a small scale, and I didn't really, th- you know, think about it as far as. Um, at that point, I was just enjoying doing those paintings and feeling like, okay, I, I, can, I don't have to really think about my thesis show work or continuing with that at this moment. And um, and then after that, I, yeah, then it, then it, then you, you kind of come to a point where you have to think, well, what, what's important now? What am I? What am I? What am I interested in? Right. And uh, I just from doing more of those direct observational pieces of some landscapes, um, a few self-portraits, just being a little bit more um, direct that way, I realized how much I enjoyed that aspect. So then I probably two years removed, I'm trying to think back when I really started doing, dedicating time to that was uh, maybe about a year out of graduate school. Right. I really started focus on doing larger scale cityscape paintings right. from direct observation. Some big influences there were um, uh, Antonio Lopez Garcia's paintings, which I'd gotten a book of right yeah. at the end of graduate school. So I spent a lot of time looking looking through that book and just loving his his sense of light and his description of of the urban. Uh, panoramic cityscapes of Madrid, street scenes in Madrid, and um, and also Rackstraw Downs, 
um, those right, right, right. retro downs paintings. Uh, so I and just looking more and more at that right, uh, right. really led me to, to paint more outside and then specifically focusing on urban, urban areas. Well, and you know, to, cause obviously I'm, I'm, as an interview, I'm, I'm terrible and I'm just jumping all over the place, but in terms of kind of getting back to this, so this trip that you took it to Italy, was that, that was, you said towards the end of your graduate studies and then you it was, yeah, that was right in the middle, right okay. between the first year and the second year that summer. But, but, we lived there. But you kind of described it as something that kind of changed. Was there something specific about being in that, you know, if anybody isn't from the Midwest that's listening to this, it's, it's yeah. very gray out right now, right. kind of <laughs> kind of going to be gray for a while. I yeah. mean, was that kind of one of those things that, hmm. I don't know. You know, the I didn't do, the unfortunate thing was I didn't do a lot, I didn't really do any painting when I was over there. So I didn't do any uh, painting of, of the Italian countryside, which would have been great. Right. But I had to begin with, I really wasn't, uh, my work was more figurative. So I wasn't into that aspect right. of it at that point. Just the major change was just taking in so much, uh, so much artwork there doing draw and drawing. I did a lot Being of drawing, in a, um, of, from, uh, like Michelangelo sculptures or different sculptures around Florence, um, and, and traveling to Rome and, and things like that. So, the, the big part was just how I used the figure at that stage. Okay. My approach okay. to it, I thought, okay, the figures became larger scale um, in terms of the picture plane, more life, well, closer to life size sure. um, within, uh, within the painting. So that was a big jump from what I had been doing the previous semester. Well, and, and I think I'm bringing it up especially because of, because of the idea of just light, you know, light which, yeah. which again, something yeah. that, you know... It's, um, for maybe the the rare student that that might hear this eventually, um, light's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's I think something that can kind of easily be kind of missed. Um, yeah. And so I mean, I could maybe tie this into then the transition that you kind of went through from, you know, you were describing, and maybe you could just describe for I guess the audience then like what um, what these pieces were like prior to you basing them off of photographs or in terms of that you were talking about it kind of being more imagined or from like a, a moment. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that, uh, that, uh, part of it was kind of built out of working from working plain air for so many years then. Cause there was about, um, maybe seven years that I worked plain air. So when I started this current series of work, um, I had, um, I had, Previous to that, been doing so much work outside uh, from direct observation. I felt guilty about trying to use a photo reference at first, so I started making these making these things up from memory, things that I would pass on the highway, um, specific moments of, of light coming through the space, creating a, a kind of a cast shadow across the building. Maybe it was the, the way the light kind of glistened off of a vent on top of a building. Um, and then just the shapes of the buildings themselves, would, I would try to kind of put to memory and then, um, and then, and then come up and, and do a little bit of sketching first. That's where this, the sketching part comes in, doing a little bit of, of reference to, to compositions in, in my sketchbook. And then starting it on a, a painting. Uh, to map it out. And so then I would have to kind of imagine this light coming right. through. So a lot of that was 
I felt like it could, could, could kind of fake it in a sense right, right. from knowing what light, you know, what happens with light across to space at different times of day from working, um, plain air, knowing what kind of colors I would typically use, um, uh, thinking about color theory a little bit with, with color relationships, um, in that sense. But then I reached a point with those invented pieces where I, I was just lacking information. I was lacking, um, even more specific, uh, just subtle muted colors, you know, that when you're, when you're inventing colors, sometimes you gravitate to more saturated colors. So right. I started uh, feeling the lack of that. Number two would be just realistic proportion and, and shape quality, uh, contour shape quality. Uh, so I started going out and taking some reference photos of specific details, like a vent or a door frame. Um, did a little bit of sketching, but I started taking some photo references, integrating that with the, the compositions from uh, memory and imagination. And then once I started taking the photos, I'm like, man, this is such a wonderful resource. Right. And I can start to compose the space um, with, with the camera. And I can find uh, just, a, just a ton of uh, interesting spaces that I couldn't really imagine or make up. Right, uh, right. And, and reference them really quickly with photographs at, at specific times of day to catch that light, you know, that, that was really, uh, that's really key about the painting. So that's when I started taking more photos for that reason. Well, and it's interesting too, just cause, um, and again, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, maybe how we wound up running into each other. I wouldn't have even, I don't know. I, I, I guess there's certain things that I think of that I share in that regards. Cause I think that there was probably a time where, I don't know, like it's very easy to kind of just think like, oh, color, you know, I like mm -hmm. color so I can use it really well. Right. But it's really kind of having to kind of work through that, you know, you know, I, I knew, I knew somebody in undergraduate that, that did a series of tinfoil paintings, yeah. which were just ridiculous because it was just all a bunch of neutral gray tones that shifted different ways, you right. know, based off of that. And so, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see how those things kind of wind up affecting you. Um, did you find that there was like a, a, I guess a transition to them in terms of like, um, you know, maybe perhaps the kind of locations that you would be kind of working from too? Cause I, I, I would imagine that, you know, um, being, being in a, being in a setting where you're like, okay, I've got, I don't have to work today or, you know, maybe I've got a, a class to teach right. and then, you know, I've just got studio time all day. So we're going to go out and do some plein air painting out yeah. in the landscape. I mean, yeah. what was the transition between, I guess the kind of subject too, in terms of you're, you're getting more interested in the things that are around you and, and that yeah. you're dealing with daily as, or what might be perceived as more daily than, right. you know, just the, the rolling landscape. Right. Yeah. There's a, a some of it I attribute to a, a painting that I did behind a Kmart up in, um, up in Round Lake. Um, so I was, I was driving around looking for interesting spots to paint. Um, actually it kind of, had passed this spot previously, just running an errand, a daily errand. And I thought I saw this, the backside of this Kmart It was all in shadow. And it was, it was, uh, really bright out. There's was, was some bright light coming down, but the back of it was in shadow. There's just these simple lines of the, of the, uh, of the, of the backside of it, the eaves, the, the ground plane. I was like, that, that could be kind of interesting. So I, st 
you know, I started to gravitate towards these out-of-the-way locations, these unusual things that people wouldn't really think about taking a picture of or painting as you're passing. Um, and some of that I attribute to rack straw downs and, and kind of finding these out-of-the-way uh, places that kind of show overgrowth, um, just these abandoned spaces kind of in between, kind of wastelands in a sense within urban spaces that we kind of forget about um, or, or kind of ignore in a sense. So, and I did a lot of uh, kind of uh, maybe three-shot paintings mm -hmm. from those type, types of things, uh, doing smaller pieces on location. Uh, rather than doing a larger painting of a bigger space, I started doing these more kind of close-up uh, cropped sections, um, still from plain air. But the reason that Kmart piece was important, because it really ties in directly to, formally right. to the compositions here. That one, the approach I took was really uh, straight onto the building, focusing just on the kind of a balance of horizontal and vertical lines. Right. I kind of like the way that it became abstract. Sure. Um, and after I did that painting, I had gotten some good response to it from people I had shown it to. I had sold it at an art show. And I thought, there's something about that piece and the, the, the way that it was composed. Uh, that's a little bit where Modrian comes in, in a sense, with, with balance and, and uh, with balance of horizontal and vertical lines, an emphasis on flatness in that sense. Well, and it's, it's interesting because um, just tangentially, I'm, I'm looking up your wall, seeing a, a Wayne Tebow, yeah. you know, uh, image of like a, like a, a storefront kind of cake window. Um, and again, cause we were, we were just talking about how, how much we, we, we like Wayne Tebow, but, yeah. um, you know, I'm looking at that image specifically right there and I'm going, gosh, yeah, there's kind of like this weird abstraction in terms of the, the, these kind of larger shapes that might make up buildings or things that you're kind of cutting off. So right. it's something that's kind of interesting in the way that that Definitely. You're finding those, those relationships maybe that don't, don't even seem kind of apparent initially. Yeah. Initially I wasn't maybe aware of it, um, until then I, you start thinking, starting to become more conscious about, okay, what do I like about this piece? Um, and, and now I'm going to, and then I deliberately set forth saying, okay, I'm going to now start doing these paintings where I'm going to really emphasize flatness. I'm going to really straighten everything out. Even if it was slightly angled in the photo, I'm going to, I'm going to flatten it out to, right. to emphasize that and cropping then thinking about it, uh, thinking about cropping, like you mentioned, the kind of creating larger shapes in that sense, um, and trying to balance those in the picture plane, thinking about the abstraction of it at the, right. at the start, um, started to become really important at that stage. Um, well, and it, they first started, um, you know, on a smaller scale, went went bigger, and, and uh, I really, uh, really like that feeling of it going larger scale. That you know, there's a certain scale that feels right for certain pieces, and uh, that larger scale, uh, especially with these here, I felt like was really adequate for the way the the space is kind of zoomed in uh, to the to the to the subject there. Yeah, yeah. And well, and, and I guess too, in kind of kind of figuring out the ways that you're almost kind of like scouting these, um, mm -hmm. you know. And I just think of my my own, you know, my own adventures in scouting these yeah. things. Um, 
that's a fun part about it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, but but I mean, I guess uh, since you're you're maybe coming more from this plein air kind of experience, I mean, um, you know, could you, I guess, then talk a little bit about that transition from being on site, maybe doing a drawing? I mean, was it always that same kind of process where you'd be then kind of transition into like taking photographs and drawing on site? Mm -hmm. Or did you ever like say paint in your car? I know, I know a number of people, including myself that have, you know, even, even in the winter, you know, uh, a little tangent, um, Mm -hmm. there was this, uh, um, this energy plant in Southern Illinois. Um, and everything was like kind of dumped out on the lake, like the, like the hot, hot water from this this plant. And so you get like this, especially in the winter, you get these big misty kind of like fog things that kind of, you know, show up and it's like freezing out. Right. You're painting in the winter Mm -hmm. in somebody's truck. Um, but I mean, did you have those kind of experiences or was it mostly then kind of like, a doing drawing and photo- photographing these things. Yeah, when I was doing plein air stuff, I really tried to never do any photography at all. So I just did everything on site I would do. Before I did larger scale pieces, I would do drawings on site. I would do sketches, and then I would do a larger uh, line drawing, essentially, um, really just for proportion, for understanding the perspective uh, composition as a whole. So I did, I did a lot of drawing at first, and then I would uh, use that to kind of transfer as I did as I did a drawing on the canvas. So essentially, by the time I was doing the painting, I had drawn the image in graphite at least twice to right, kind of right. understand it. So to to me at that point, drawing was really important, still important now. However, I don't do any on-site drawing anymore. Um, I just take photos. Mainly, it's a time thing. You know, I can I can pull off to the side of the road. I can, I can take some photos quickly. Um, sometimes with like with the night painting there, I took it on my cell phone as I was walking into the store. Right. Because right. I, there was just a moment there. I didn't have my, my camera with me. All I had was my cell phone. So I took that and was it, uh, then referenced it on the computer, cropped it, did some sketches from that and did a, a tonal, a larger tonal drawing from, from that. And then did the painting. Right. So it's a little different process in that sense where I'm doing, I'm taking the photos first, then I'm sketching, uh, then I'm then I'm doing typically a, a larger tonal drawing, and then doing the oil painting after that. So there's still a kind of a, a layering in the sense of understanding the space, understanding the light, the tonal qualities about the piece. So mainly in the line drawings or in the sketches, I'm doing mostly linear drawings, adding a little bit of tone and then focusing on, on light and shadow in the larger drawing, which is really helpful for understanding form and then even just mark making right. as I get into the painting as well. So it's, it's, uh, I found it to be really helpful. A lot of times if I start a painting without doing a drawing, I feel a little bit almost uneasy at first. Right. And not even quite sure about the image uh, compositionally or, or formally. Well, until I until I do a, a, a do a drawing of it that in that way. Well, and it's interesting too because it's something that you know I was describing to you earlier that that I that I kind of have like a, a guiltiness about feeling like I'm a bad drawer, right? That's well. um, which is which is funny because I feel like I'm a lot better than I give myself credit for having I'm I'm sure teaching drawing over and over now. Um, right, it's something that I wind up getting really into, but. Um, you know, too, it's it's interesting too because then you get a good sense of the the value range too. Oh, definitely. Whereas, yeah. whereas something like again, since um, 
I don't know, uh, gravitating towards representation was something that, I, I don't know, I kind of had to slowly feel like I fit into that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's weird. I, I didn't realize um, how those things worked because in a way, like I've always been working in color to paint things. Yeah. So when you actually see something in black and white right. or change it, you know, like on yeah. Photoshop to see yeah. it, like, oh, it's, you know, it's okay. kind of interesting the way that those, I, those kind of relationships work. Do so that. it makes sense to kind of inform those pieces that way too. Oh yeah. I do that all the time. I'll use that with the, the printed image, a black and white um, color copy. I'll do, you know, and then that, that obviously influences the drawing. And then when I'm doing the painting, I also have a Xerox or a copy of my drawing. If I can't have physically have my drawing up at the same time, I also have a, a copy of it there, which I can grid and, and reference um, scale and proportion. Because some of that changes from the photo to the drawing. I'm changing. Uh, I might change some spacing around compositionally, like in that piece there. Uh, originally, the top of, of the building is cropped out. And I kind of added that in there because I felt like it was important um, at the top of the space. Um, certain things change more dramatically, like um, in that painting, uh, the the light and the the uh, door frame, um, the palette on the ground there. Those are all kind of spliced in from different photos, right? Um, and so then, when once I've done the drawing and I get a Xerox of that, and I'm working on the painting, I can go back and reference my spacing. Um, from the drawing that I did. And you were mentioning tone, and that's, yeah, that's excellent because, especially in that piece, the tone of the wall, the, the tone of it adjacent to the, the, the cardboard stacks in it was really important. It changes at different points in relationship to the form. Um, and that way I could, I already had an understanding of how that worked coming from doing the drawing. Right, um, right. Almost with this piece at the same time, I was kind of drawing one day working on a painting the next day because I was getting ready for a show. So right. the drawing was still finished before the painting was, um, but I was doing them a little bit together sure. in that sense. Well, and, and, you know, there's so many threads to kind of, kind of go down, you know what I mean? Go towards and that, but, uh, you know, something that you just said that, that was kind of interesting to me too, is that like, you know, too, just, um, the way that um, things have evolved, you know, you can see, you know, like one of these pieces or somebody might see it, and not even really think about the way that it has been abstracted and yeah. and kind of reconfigured. Yeah. Um, you know, which is something that, you know, obviously in terms of the architecture and the way that I'm putting them together, I'm like putting them together in a way to make it really obvious right. or, or really kind of think about the way that I'm owning this to kind of turn it into something else. Right. I like um, that idea. I like, I like that idea about it, even though I'm not doing it as... So right, right. In, in, emphasized in that way as you are. Um, I like, I like that it's that I, that it's there. That, that, that it's a construction in a sense, and I kind of like that people may, might not be aware of it right. necessarily. That it's, you know. And I had a teacher, one of my graduate teachers, said that uh, all a painting is artifice. You know, I kind of like I kind of like that statement because. It, it has its own world. It said it, it, every painting has its own rules, no matter how you're painting the piece. It's a construction. A lot of people outside of art don't really understand that. Right. Um, they think of things too literally. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the barrier that kind of, right, that right. kind of separates people in the, in the art spectrum in the sense, or that have 
experience making art or, or art lovers in a sense, art historians, um, compared to just kind of untrained, like the untrained eye, so to speak, or knowledge about, um, the process of making a piece. Sure. Um, and I think even students in a way, in a way you have to make them aware that, Hey, you can break from this in a sense to, to, um, to reconfigure it, what what are the what are the needs of the painting, so to speak, in that in that sense? Well, and it's something that again that you know um, just kind of bring up with you recently this idea of, of the remix and specifically that that video that I've been talking to you specifically about, which I don't know. I guess I'll have to post through Studio Break just to make sure that people see it because I, th- I think it. I mean, I think just by using popular culture, it really kind of easily sets that up. Right. But it's interesting because it's, it's you know, bring it to a subject like landscape mm-hmm. that I think people automatically think of as just being a very straightforward, traditional yeah. thing outside of any of that realm. I mean, the reality is, is that that's probably been changing all throughout its history. You know, yeah. um, you know and people could maybe even think of, you know, um, you know, impressionist painters working on site and then going back to the studio to rework something or oh, yeah. to do drawings mm-hmm. on site to go back to your studio to rework it. And now right. it's just, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think that technology is something that also then makes it more abstract? You, maybe this is a bit heady, but I mean, do you consciously think about that those things now in terms of, of those other processes that you might use? I mean, I don't know that, um, uh, you know, the Van Gogh or, or someone had <laughs> didn't or, or, or Renoir, you know, like had a, right. had a camera phone to right. kind of just casually to... like, you know, yeah. oh, cafe, you know, right. um, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there, there is a, there's a issue there with, with image overload in a, in, in a way and not, um, just in culture in general, I guess, and not, um, and that the importance of an image in a painting or a drawing, and then the importance of the unimportance of so many images that we take from snapshots to things that we see on TV or on the computer. Uh, there's just so much more exposure to imagery, I guess, right? Right. right. Than well, ever before. It's such a smaller um, world, you know. I mean, right. and I, that, that's a whole nother discussion in a way. But um, yeah, the, to me, the um, and I don't, I don't really have any formal training in Photoshop. Uh, I don't even do much with Photoshop. Mainly, I just use a, a very simplified computer program to just mainly crop, right. really, the images. So I'm, I'm kind of scanning, in a sense, with a square cropping to kind of figure out where to place that border. And, um, and I kind of play with it on there because it's much faster than, than sketching in a sense, but I'll do that. I'll do a lot of sketching at the same time. Sure. Uh, um, that hasn't completely taken over that process, but I like doing both, um, because they inform each other and I can really, the one thing is nice. You can really scale it down on the computer to make the image really small thumbnail size so that you're kind of looking at it just as a, an abstraction of like color tones for the, for the sky versus a building versus a pavement tone. Sure. What's how harmonious does that look with that cropping that you, that you just made? So there's some distinct advantages in that way about planning it out. Um, but even regardless of how much I plan it out through those stages of sketching, using the computer to, to crop inevitably things 
tend to change. Uh, sometimes um, less, sometimes more in certain paintings. Like sure. that painting there with the vertical siding in it, you know, that the, this, it started with the original piece there, the photo, with the red, kind of the salmon-colored wall. And eventually over time, and, and trying to add different lines on the building that weren't working to changing color schemes, <laughs> I was right. fixated on a gray palette for a long time, which didn't work. Eventually, I came upon this idea of using the, this vertical siding to really break up that space, mm -hmm. but at the same time, keep it as kind of a color field in a way that, that I thought worked with the image. So that one, even though I initially cropped it, was happy with the cropping, a lot of the color changed, and then, uh, and then the use of those lines uh, came in towards the, the latter stage of the piece, which, which kind of started to pull it together. So I kind of I like that process of feel like you have to be able to change your mind and readjust color and spacing as I'm painting uh, to really get a feel for it. Especially once you're going much larger sure, in scale sure. from what your reproduction might be, you get a, just a different feel of the space. And um, so that that's kind of those kind of adjustments kind of continually happen. Yeah, it seems like then. Um, but then you know you're talking a little bit then I guess in terms of putting it out as a line drawing. Do you then kind of slowly build up the layers of paint that way, or do you actually have like a value drawing that you are kind of like yeah. building up from underneath? Or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't done any underpainting in a sense of like a grisaille underpainting or something like that. Right, right. I, I'm kind of interested actually now in maybe trying that. Um, I, get, I haven't done that type of painting in a long time. Um, that that would be kind of interesting, but if, I've what I start out with is a fairly simplified line drawing on the surface. It's become even more general the longer that I've done these paintings. Because of that, I want to keep the, the start of the painting very fresh. So I don't want to feel like I'm uh, too restrictive in the beginning. That's stuff that I try to reinforce to my students a lot in the beginning of their drawings, is keeping it gestural. Um, and responsive, uh, in that in that sense, trying to, to kind of block it, block the space in, right. and thinking about the big shapes versus you know painting in really really confined spaces right away. Um, so that's how they how they start. I don't do uh, I don't do any kind of tone ground or or like a value underpainting. Sure, but I'm kind of interested actually. Now when we we're talking about that, I was thinking about doing a little bit of a, like a black and white underpainting at first. And then, um, and then color over the top. So that might be something I'll try well, in one of these next pieces here. And I think, again, I mean, that's um, one of the things that I really enjoy about these kind of conversations. And I think hopefully, you know, anybody that's had this experience is kind of like those, those these are the kind of conversations, hopefully, that kind of bring up ideas in your own work that you're yeah. kind of like, oh, I didn't think about that, you know? And, yeah. and I, I mean, even kind of, even though I've been kind of hammering about this abstraction, but I also notice that, again, you know, even in the ways that you're setting them up, again, you kind of talked a little bit about, about abstracting them so that they're much, that they're very stable, they're very horizontal kind of images. Right. But, like, I also noticed that when I came in, there was a Diebenkorn um, book that was kind of laid out, too. So, I mean, yeah. is there something that then, too, there's a, I don't know, there's a, anything that you kind of relate in terms of something that, that kind of becomes so, I don't know... <laughs> Something that if, if somebody that didn't know any better mm -hmm. would kind of look at at, at two 
you know, you and David Corn next to each other right. and <laughs> what we think of. I mean, um, huh. it's yeah. kind of an interesting thing because um, I guess, yeah, one thing I like about his work, is similar to, to Modron, is just the division of the picture plane. I think that about that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, where things are divided uh, by lines or where the edge of a shape is placed in that sense. Um, the color field aspect, color uh, color uh, relationships in Deep and Corn's paintings, but also what I really love, and I kind of have a hard time with this in my paintings, probably typical, you admire certain things that you really can't do because your personality doesn't lend itself right, right. to that type of painting, is the way that he allows that pentimenti, that underpainting, the changes to kind of show through. Because to him, that's that's part of the, the process right, right. Is, is so important. He wants to allow allow that to, to show through rather than kind of cleaning it up where, where Modron is more like that. In a right, sense. right. was more like that with uh, making everything very clean and precise towards the end. But if you see images of Modron's unfinished paintings, they're really beautiful in that sense about um, changes, evidence of changes and, and kind of layering that's taking place. So that's one thing I really admire is that unfinished a little bit in Ublo's paintings too, the way he right, right. allows measurement marks uh, to show through um, parts that maybe aren't layered as much. So you see a few more of kind of like a, a thinner layers of color rather than a density that's built up, uh, which I really love about Ublo's uh, pieces as well. So I, I've, I kind of desire to keep that stuff visible, but in the end, I feel like my personality, the way that I'm painting them, it, I just end up kind of, um, kind of t- covering that stuff up, so to speak, through the process. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, too, in terms of then, I guess, you know, deciding what subjects and, and I guess what, what a composition might look like, um, you know, this night painting of, of the jewel again, I'm, as uh, someone that goes to Jewel quite a bit, I, uh, you know, it's, it's something that for whatever reason I can be like, oh, this is, you know, like I get this already. But like, I mean, do you, do you try to find almost kind of like these, um, you know, these, I guess, I don't know, like these little things, you know, like in, in this painting here, there's like a, like a security camera that's out back. Yeah. Um, you know, in this jewel painting, there's like this very bright kind of yellow arrow and you kind of get like a, the cropped jewel logo. So you kind of get a little bit of that. I mean, is that something that you kind of. All of that. Yeah. All that cropping is really deliberate. You know, right. I like it in the end, like we're t- you're saying about how your pieces are very planned out in that sense. Um, I like that sense of it being very constructed and deliberate for, for the position of the borders and the position of the arrow in that one. The, use, the, the way the J's, you know, kind of cropped in, um, needing that kind of to frame the edge um, and the pop of color, too, that it provided in that piece. The, uh, the security camera in that one, actually at first when I took the picture and looked at it on the computer, I didn't know if I really liked the camera mm-hmm. in there. Um, but once, as I was doing the drawing, I loved drawing the camera. <laughs> and um, I, then, I, then I just felt like it added that extra, nar- like a little narrative sense to it um, and, and took it a little bit past um, just kind of a blank space right. now it references something else people watching you know right, this, right. Uh, this idea I, I like that aspect of it. i like that it wasn't like overly emphasized um and it was kind of hidden not hidden in a sense but it's a smaller part of, 
of the piece. It kind of plays a, a compositional role there too, but um, um, yeah, I, I, I like finding these out of the way places and some of those details. That's what I love about painting from from observation or or using the photo references because that stuff you couldn't really right, right. make up. That's that's a great part about the happenstance of finding certain things um, um, in the backs of, of these of these buildings or these storefronts, these, sure. these uh, abandoned kind of spaces. In some sense, not always abandoned. But. Well, and I mean, is that I mean, is that then? I mean, are you specifically then looking for things that you find? just, you know, interesting for yourself. Because mm -hmm. um, I know that, you know, um, there's that kind of yeah. cliche about, like, uh, people wanting to put, like, the world into what, they, what they're working yeah. on. And, and I think a lot of the times that's um, it's a big trap, you know. I yeah. think, it, and especially having gone through the rigors of, you know, graduate program, there's this kind of compelling desire, like, I've got to, I've got to make world. something that's so meaningful. Right, um, that it, that, yeah, that it's, it has this um, grand, right, you know, thing to it. I think that, that in a sense, it, number one, it's, it's, I like your word trap there because it, you can get a little bit fuller of yourself when you're doing stuff like that. And it, you have to, as an artist, you have to do stuff that is important to you. What, what, what's keeping your interest. Um, otherwise, you know, you're not going to put your time and energy into it. Um, so you, you have to, that's the number one thing you have to be satisfied with with that piece or with the image um that's what that's why i you know right. do the paintings i do i try to find things that i'm interested in personally well and and i think it's interesting because again i mean i, I found that for my own work um i wasn't you know for a long time i made things that i felt like were very derivative of something else and yeah. and something that i got a lot back was like oh this looks like this yeah. or this looks like this person's work right and for me, like that content is something that came through kind of, I think what you're talking about a little bit of just kind of working through that observation. Yeah. And so it's nice now because I can come to this work and think about it the way that I guess I just think about things in life anyways. And, you know, maybe a bad movie example is the, the plastic, the plastic bag, you know, floating on video. Um, gosh, and this name is escaping me. The, okay. the American beauty, yeah. um, you know, where you're kind of filming this kind of pointless thing that's beautiful. Um, yeah. And I think in the same way when, you know, if, you, if nobody's ever worked in a job where you have to um, make giant bundles and compress cardboard and, you know, right. wire them all up. I mean, those things are kind of interesting. You see these yeah. things, these remnants around the back of the stores. Um, and for me, anyways, I just think about like this other part of culture that you don't really kind of consider. But I, I like that it's something that the way that it's arrived to makes so much sense to me that if you wanted, if I said, you know, Hans, you know, I want you to make a, a piece that's about, right. you know, the, the part of culture that nobody sees, right. You might have something that's completely loaded and right. You know, yeah, stuffy. Don't, and, don't want it to be heavy, you know, heavy handed in that sense or right. not being um, so literal or knocking you over the head with, this is my concept or, I'm trying to be green, you know, so I'm doing these right, images right. with recycled cardboard. That's, you know, that's <laughs> not part of it at all. You know, that's, I'm more interested in them. Uh, a lot of it is just formally. And then, um, I like some of that hinting at, at, at something that you're not quite, that you're not seeing in the image. You know, what, what's, what does that relate to? Like we mentioned the security camera. 
Right. Uh, but I like it to be more vague, um, and, and that way it, viewers can kind of piece together things themselves and, and keep, and, and the image becomes interesting to them for, 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 uh, a different aspect that they can kind of bring to it themselves. Right. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I, and again, this is just a, I guess a bias in, in terms of the way that I see things, but I mean, that's, that I really, really like seeing work that's like that. Yeah. Cause it does, it does allow for that. And also in the same way that, you know, um, off the top of my head, a movie like uh, 12 Monkeys, I can rewatch it and right. find something different in it mm-hmm. if I watch it again. Yeah. And I think the same thing kind of happens through the artwork that, I, that I'm drawn to. Yeah. Um, One thing I like going off of that comment was it made me think I used to do a lot of, uh, I used to really like Ernest Hemingway's short stories because there was like, I like this, this, this uh, storyline that was, um, just kind of touched upon or, or, um, there was metaphors kind of happening in a sense, but really never directly stated what was the purpose or the intent of the MP of the story. It was, it was through dialogue. It was gradual. Um, it was kind of everyday, uh, mm-hmm. dialogue in a sense in certain of, of his stories. And I like that aspect of it, keeping the idea in the background in a sense, so it's not uh, in the forefront. Sure, it, sure. it makes it a little bit more interesting, I think, that way. Yeah. Um, well, and and again, maybe this is just because of, of my my poor ability as an interviewer, because I, I, I there's I realize a lot of things that I've kind of neglected. So some of these we might kind of gloss over a little bit to okay. kind of consider time. But sure. um, you know, you know, you talked a little bit about like some like um, other other kind of mediums and things that maybe you didn't really kind of explore. I mean, do you, do you find that there is something then again, I guess just about working this way that, you know, compels you to keep working this way that makes you realize or think that like, this is mu- going to be much more effective than if I suddenly, I don't know, try some, I don't know, something that you might, that some people might feel you could be much more contemporary by doing, hmm. I don't know, something else. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess in that sense, you have to remain true to what you feel, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about as far as materials and processes, um, what you're in. Some people might be more interested to take it in a different direction. Um, that makes sense. You know, like they could become, they could, I've imagined them, uh, they could become uh, almost like wall reliefs of sculpture in a sense, keeping them flat, but with different materials, right. maybe even found material in a way that could be interesting, but really I'm a painter. Right. I right. love oil paint. Um, and, and I'm going to stick, stick with that in a sense. Oh, recently or for the past number of years, I've been doing drawings mostly with Conte crayon on drafting film. I love that surface, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 um, and so I want to keep using that. Monotype and printmaking is maybe one thing that I'm interested in using a little bit more. I, I kind of did a few prints maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, and I haven't had time to really to dig back into that. Right. I feel like I would need to set some time aside and just kind of focus solely on doing a little bit of a little bit more of monotype. I like that. I like it in a way of uh, of uh, layering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and kind of changing, um, playing with the image, being a little bit looser with it, um, 
in a sense that way with the with the medium. Um, so that that would be one thing I'd like to explore a little bit further. But I kind of want to stick with the yeah yeah with with, um, with the sole focus of painting. But yeah, that that's you know there's so many different routes people could take with a with their medium, but I do feel like that's one thing as, as artists that that's kind of your, um, that's how things remain in a series of work remains consistent in a sense is your, not just your subject, but the, your, your formal choices, your use of medium. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and again, I apologize cause this will go a little bit longer, but, um, there's just some things that I, that I need to ask too. I mean, so in, in addition to all of the, the things that you're sourcing and, and the kind of process that you're working through to get to these paintings, are there also things that you're, you're, you're kind of, um, investing in terms of other kind of research or, you know, reading or, um, you know, obviously one of my other questions that I like to ask is, is in relation to what you wind up seeing, but I mean, is there other, yeah. other ways that research or, you know, readings or anything else like that, that, that kind of make you, I don't know, reinvest or maybe, you know, reconsider anything. Yeah. Um, you know, because of that love of, of plain air, I've thought a little bit about and doing a reading on some Antonio Lopez books that I recently got, Mm -hmm. uh, reading through those and, um, thinking about his process of working from, you know, working from life. Um, I've thought about, well, what, what happens if I take these back outside again? Cause they're, they've been solely studio pieces. What if I tried to, um, do that? Like when weather, before, you know, gave me the opportunity in the summertime to, uh, to do, to do some of them on site and try to right. maybe either stick with that or, um, maybe bring them back and forth from the studio to the, uh, to working back plain air. That might be kind of interesting. Uh, mainly just from reading some some uh, some some of the Lopez books. As far as completely outside sources, not not very much, except for just teaching. You know, ideas that you that you're teaching always influence. You know, come back in to touch upon in your studio. Sure. In a way, um, I I don't know if I can cite anything specifically there. Maybe right uh, proportion ideas from figure drawing. Um, this idea of proportional relationships being important in the figure. How is that important in a, in a, in a space like right. these things are concerned with, uh, yeah, but not, I guess not a lot of other outside sources as much. Well, and I think again, it seems like something then that's all kind of, again, um, in an attempt to kind of, um, really consider your, your perspective and how that evolves through your yeah. work. Um, or other things that you're kind of being influenced from just being, yeah, in general, always being influenced by other artists, um, looking at, um, you know, friends that I know and, and their work and, and just being, it, being refreshed by different people's takes on things, I think is important so that you can, you just think a little bit outside of yourself in a sense. And right. That, right. I think is always, you kind of have to keep yourself in check. I think sometimes in sure. that way. And, and um, you, not just questioning your ideas, but uh, just um, being having some different influences. Sure. Well, and, and I guess to, to kind of read, well, to bring up one of my, I guess, more interesting questions, um, is there, are there any things that make you, uh, that you, uh, put you in check? Um, 
that make you want to hang up your brushes after you've seen the show? Is there any, anything that, that you've seen in the last uh, chunk of, damn. I don't know, your life that you've kind of been like, damn, that's, uh, that's some yeah. good work. I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. Um, gosh, it's a good question. Well, I, you know, um, it's, it just strikes me because, I mean, there's, there's some times where, I mean, and again, it might not even be related to what you do, but, um, you know, there's times where I where I just stumble into some show that I didn't even know was going on that I'm just like, wow, you know, this is amazing. Right. Um, yeah, the, you know, looking at, I can't say anything real recently that I've seen maybe last year in Art Chicago. I'm seeing a lot of work in mm-hmm. person in that in that way. Uh, I was out in Philadelphia this summer and got to see some of my friends' paintings there, just reinvigorated by seeing their work um, in person. Those Lopez paintings in those books just really kind of blow me away. Um, His painting of Madrid, one of his recent paintings, kind of large-scale multi-panel piece, and the details in the books, and you're like, you know, thinking about how he dedicated so many years to that painting and right. then to see close-up details of, like, these minute buildings in, in the distance that were, like, built up and repainted and how he scrutinized uh, visually so much of, about the space. And that's just really <laughs> kind of overwhelming in a sense. Right. right. Um, and, and I do like that idea of time, the effect of time on the piece, um, one of my good friends that lives in Philadelphia just really works uh, deliberately over time coming back to the same piece. Um, and I like that idea of, of how the surface evolves, how the form evolves, becomes more solidified in a painting over time. Um, but yeah, that I guess I'm never, I'm, 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 I'm those Lopez paintings don't kick my butt enough to say I'm, I'm gonna right, right. I'm gonna drop my paintbrush. Well, but they're pretty that... over. They are overwhelming sure. when you really start to think about it. Sure, yeah. The, you, when you know how much, and it really you could look at so many paintings from throughout art history to feel that same way. Um, but um, that's a wonderful. That's a great thing about anything that has a history behind it is is um, what you're what you're kind of adding to what you're building upon. And what you're what can influence you, right. I think it's really important to uh, really push yourself in that way, right? Um, yeah, in your work. Well, and and I guess to because I've, I've I think I've almost managed to ask everybody else this, and I've only got a couple of things left. Um, you know, how do you find that? I guess the way that your studio practice works, like how does that influence the way that you encourage your your students? Or I mean. Uh, I can kind of say from personal experience, but say I didn't know. <laughs> right. right. Um, um, gosh, you mean like my daily routine in a sense? Well, or? I mean, I, I think I think initially I'd, the question that I had wound up asking people is, would you encourage a, a freshman to, to go into studio fine art painting? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I'm assuming, obviously, since you're a teacher, that's yeah. something that you do for a living. Yeah. You must agree with. But um, right. I don't know. I, and I've maybe even changed it up to ask people, you know, like what advice you might even give to somebody that is interested in becoming a fine art painter. Right. When I, yeah, when you see really, when I see really talented drawing students, I'm very envious because at that stage right. of, um, of my of school, when I was a freshman, sophomore, I wasn't that 
I wasn't up to some of their level, in a sense, their skill level, their their understanding. Uh, so in that sense, it's great. You love seeing students like that for a number of different reasons. Not only what you're you're getting out of them um, per project, and uh, but what you know, hopefully, what that means for them as they go through school that they're going to be building upon that, um, and, and and hopefully urging them some of them, yeah, to to go into the fine art field because so many of them aren't interested. They 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 maybe want to find more of a a design career. Um, maybe it's industrial design. Maybe it's graphic design. But a lot of great students at Iowa State that would go into graphic design or, or uh, landscape architecture, something like that, uh, because they're more career focused, right? Um, right, right. And uh, but those are also the type of students because they're so skilled um, that you'd love to see them get into to fine art, and 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 they have the dedication because you're, you're we're not just talking about students that have a lot of skill, but students that put the time. Because that, that's really the, the key factor is the desire, the enjoyment of it to uh, um, set aside time to do it as, te- as teachers. You know, right, right. You have to make that a priority um, because you've got so many other, you're balancing so many other things in life um, um, with teaching, with your, with, your, uh, with, with your spouse, with your um with your friends, um, social life, all, all these different kinds of things, making time to paint sure. is very important. Right. Um, and difficult in that same, oh, sure, in that sure. same time. But, uh, well, and those, yeah, sorry. in a sense, I think students, when they, when they talk to us, they have a, they have a, um, they're not, they, they have no frame of reference for it. So they, they don't really understand all this stuff. We're, Kind of talking about that before, just with color, right? Right. <laughs> a simple idea about doing a color piece. They, they just have they do, a lot of them might not have any understanding of, of what it means, or they might see what you're doing in your class, and they, they might be like, "Well, I want to do that. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a college teacher." And I, you know, certainly you or I didn't do didn't become this to be college teachers. Right. Right. We just happened to to become. Uh, teachers through through that process, but we were first studio artists in, in, right. from the beginning. So I think that's one thing you have to tell them is like, well, this is an aspect of it. We right. had a, we all have master's degrees. We we had a we had a, a specific focus um, in, in a, as a studio area. Oh, oh, really? That's what. Yeah. Right, right. So it's kind of eye opening for for some of them, not not for all. Well, and you know, um, I. And especially if this could be used as some kind of learning tool. Not, gosh, it sounds so terrible when I say it like that to myself. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I think one of the things that I find so frustrating is trying to unpack that um, for people to kind of, you know, figure out, you know, what are the steps? What are the speak, right? Well, I was going to say, like, what are the things that I that I can? How can my how can I make choices so that ultimately I'm leading the kind of life that has a lot of possibilities for what I want to do as a career. Mm-hmm. And that might be something that um, I'll have to come up with some kind of special yeah. to, to, to kind of really there's, unpack and digest. But um, there's so much, yeah, there's so much there. Uh, when I look back on it, you know, you, you're, I can talk the best about my experience. Um, having not been prepared for graduate school, right. you know, just per, 
getting them aware of what are the what are the steps, what what are the what are the challenges involved with that, and and having them getting themselves educated, going to the school, looking up as much about the school as possible, going to the school for a visit, meeting students, meeting faculty, just kind of breaking down some of these barriers that that they might be afraid of, or just breaking down the unknown entity sure. of it. Um, as far as, and a lot of our students in the community college level, it's, it's also just an aspect of where you're going to transfer to, to, to finish your, right, right. your degree at, and what, what are your options there, um, as far as different schools, different programs, and price, sure, cost, sure. um, is a big thing too, getting, getting the students aware of the cost, but I like to think about it for what did I lack as a student? You know, right. obviously we're thinking about that with teaching. What, what did I feel like I needed to be taught? But also what did, um, what did I need to be taught as far as um, the next level going, going further um, through school? I think that's, that's well, an important part. I don't know. Clearly teachers get paid way too much. <laughs> exactly. Or taken care of way too much. <laughs> um, and then just my, well, just a couple last things. Um, one, because I noticed the only thing you have really in here that might just be distracting, that it's mm-hmm. not even really distracting, is the radio. So yeah. I always like to ask uh, in terms of uh, what kind of things that you listen to. And this will be very practical when I have right. to find music to kind of uh, throw in there to look for later. So okay. any particular things that uh, wind up filling the, uh, the space in here while you're working? Right. Um, you know, sometimes in the mornings it can be um, uh, unusual sports talk radio. I'm a big sports fan and uh, listen to a lot of ESPN radio. But then, uh, yeah, while I'm working, I listen to a lot of uh, um, a lot of music from um, um, on Ivor, which I just had on earlier. Uh, Sufjan Stevens, Death Cab, right? Um, Fleet Foxes, right? Been just a complete Fleet Foxes nut for the past year. So, and I tend to play things repetitiously. Right, put right. It on, put it on, uh, um, put it on repeat, so to speak. Um, so I kind of get lost. Sure, in sure. The music, um, Radiohead. Right. Um, those, those kind of things. All right. And, um, and just creating a nice mood in the, sure. you know, the like, studio. Like one that seems to promote a lot of work. And <laughs> get me focused. Um, and so, and then the last thing is just, um, are there any important uh, exhibitions or anything that you have coming up that you should uh, plug away at so that we can all look for yeah, them? Great. Yeah, I have a show coming up, a two-person show at Edwardsville Arts Center. And that's going to open March 23rd. It'll be up for about a month and at the Arts Center in Edwardsville. It's a two-person, two-person show, me and another artist named uh, Tyler Lotes or lots, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's a small world after all. Um, and so, so it, the title of the show is Haberger versus Lots, which I think is kind of interesting. So I've got that coming up um, as a two person show. Well, thanks again for uh, inviting me into your studio and taking the time to bear with me. No problem. Great to have you here. Thanks again to Hans for a great studio visit. It was a lot of fun. Again, you can check out more about his work by visiting hanshabiger.com. And as always, if you want to find out more about Studio Break and listen to old episodes, please visit studiobreak.com. Just scan through any number of different artists that we have featured. And once again, a reminder that if you haven't, you can subscribe to 
Studio Break on iTunes. Just visit the iTunes store under podcast, search Studio Break, and you can subscribe there. Music today is Uniform Motion. Again, you can find that at freemusicarchive.org, the song entitled Back Up Your Soul. For those of you in the central Illinois area, please check out the upcoming exhibition entitled Sensory Landscapes with Sarah Nesbitt and Lynn Wellenhausen. The show opens March 10th at the Peoria Art Guild, so please check that out. And lastly, if you haven't become a fan of Studio Break yet, please become a fan of Studio Break on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.